0: Introducing True Crime PI, an investigative bi-weekly podcast that explores missing and unidentified cold cases from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. My name is Dana Pohl. I am a writer and a librarian with a passion for investigating the missing and unidentified. Most life stories begin at birth and end with death. But the stories of the missing and unidentified are disrupted by a mysterious occurrence that obscures the who, what, when, and why. Without the answers to these questions, the missing and unidentified remain in limbo, waiting for someone to write the ending of their stories. My hope is that collectively, we can be that someone Welcome to True Crime PI, Episode 5 A Killer, a Sketch, and an Unidentified Young Woman. If the death of Samuel Little and the details contained in the last episode left you feeling like this case would never be solved, keep listening. There have been some surprising developments over the past 30 days. From the start, this doe and her story got under my skin, like a stubborn splinter that requires an uncomfortable amount of digging to remove. Through my research, I was able to uncover and share information that had never been shared with the public. My interviews with Detective Dawes expanded our knowledge tenfold and provided real insight into this case. I could not be more grateful to Detective Dawes for answering my questions, sharing his experiences and knowledge, and providing us with a glimpse into the mind of Samuel Little, the man he calls the most potential suspect. When Detective Dawes took us back to the original investigation in 1984, we learned just how hard it was to solve a homicide when DNA testing was not readily available and when police departments did not employ forensic artists. Fast forward to 2014 when Detective Dawes and his cold case unit spent hours on the internet researching clothing brands doing background checks, searching through missing persons reports, and old case files. I value what we have learned, but unfortunately, we have not been able to definitively answer our two most important questions. Who killed our doe, and what is her name? I have thought a great deal about these two questions. The way I see it, there are four ways that we could potentially identify her killer. One, find the missing evidence and test it for male DNA. As much as I'd like to believe this could happen, it is very unlikely. According to Detective Dawes, quote, In the mid-80s, police agency evidence units were overrun with items that were being collected from crime scenes. DNA testing didn't exist, and people didn't anticipate the potential for an unsolved case to be looked at again and solved. So there was evidence that was just thrown out because it was old, unquote. After doing his due diligence, Detective Dawes could not locate the evidence in this case, and therefore, he does not believe the evidence will ever be found. In an effort to do my due diligence, I contacted the Cobb County Medical Examiner's Office and told them about the missing evidence. The person I spoke with mentioned that the facility had recently moved to a new space and that the contents of the evidence room had not yet been moved. I asked if they would keep an eye out for the blue Playboy Bunny shirt and any other evidence related to this case. I was told that they would. My fingers are crossed, but again, it seems like a long shot. 2. A witness or informant comes forward. I am being a bit optimistic here. It has been 36 years. Unless it is a deathbed confession, I doubt this scenario will provide us with the name of her killer. Three, a confession from an unknown killer. This is still a possibility, but a long shot at best, especially because Samuel Little does seem to be the most potential suspect. Four, a match is made to one of Samuel Little's unmatched confessions. Obviously, his death put an end to any future confessions, but according to authorities, they are still comparing viable unmatched confessions against missing persons and Jane Doe cases. I truly believe that the only way we will find out who killed our Doe is if we can match her to an unmatched confession from Samuel Little. That being said, How does a podcaster like me gain access to the information and the people who have knowledge of Samuel Little's unmatched confessions? I wasn't exactly sure, but I had a pretty good idea who might be able to help. In the December bonus episode, I recommended a podcast called The Fall Line. In September 2020, The Fall Line released a four-part limited series, The Victims of Samuel Little. Episode 3 of this series featured an interview with Amy Hutzel, Program Director, Criminal Justice Coordinating Council, CJCC. CJCC's mission is to financially and programmatically support innovative programs and services to improve criminal justice and empower victims in the state of Georgia. Amy also oversees the Sexual Assault, Child Abuse, and Human Trafficking Unit. After listening to Amy explain her involvement in the Samuel Little cases, I was intrigued. I think you will be too, so here's a recap of the interview. The CJCC received a $3 million grant to fund the Georgia Sexual Assault Kit Initiative, known as SACI. Amy's introduction to the serial killer that we now know as Samuel Little came when she received an email from Dr. Angela Williamson. Dr. Williamson works for the Bureau of Justice Assistance, where she leads the National Sexual Assault Kit Initiative and is the liaison to the FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit, VICAP. The email Amy received requested help with a multi-jurisdictional cold homicide case, which in layman's terms means a case that involves a serial killer. Amy's response was a resounding yes, and she has been working the Samuel Little Georgia cases ever since. When The Fall Line released Episode 3 and I heard Amy's interview, I had just finished writing Episode 1. A week later, I would interview Detective Dawes and ask the question I had been pondering for over two years. Could our doe be one of Samuel Little's victims? Even before Detective Dawes dropped the most potential suspect bombshell in my lap, I knew one day I would want to speak with Amy about this case, so I added her name to my future contacts list. When I sat down to write episode 5, I reviewed the list and I sent an email to Amy in hopes of securing an interview with her. I thought she might be willing to shed some light on Samuel Little's Atlanta victims. After a few emails back and forth, we were able to connect by phone. Our conversation was easy from the moment it began. Amy listened as I gave her an abbreviated version of Our Dose story. She answered my questions and asked several of her own, including, where was this doe's body found? My answer, off of Riverview Road on Nichols Drive. And then I added, in Mableton. When I said Mableton, she said, he did mention Mableton. And I was pretty sure the he she was referring to was Samuel Little. Then she asked, Why does Detective Dawes think that Samuel Little is the most potential suspect in this case? I shared everything Detective Dawes told us. Samuel Little's M.O., the unofficial cause of death being manual strangulation, the location where she was found, the belief that she was a sex worker, the conversations he had with Texas Ranger James Holland, the crime scene photos, and the fact that Samuel Little did not deny or confirm that she was his victim. Because I just couldn't help myself, I also mentioned the sketch that Samuel Little drew of a red-haired woman wearing a white shirt. This sketch was labeled 1983-1984 Atlanta and was eventually matched to Leanne Helms. I knew Samuel Little confessed to strangling Leanne and that he provided details about her that only her killer would know. But I told Amy that for some reason I just couldn't shake the feeling that the red-haired woman could be our doe. If you would like to see a side-by-side image of Little Sketch and the reconstruction of our doe, visit our True Crime PI Facebook page and join our crowdsourcing group. Amy and I talked for about 30 minutes and at the end of the conversation she said, I would like to take a look at this case. She asked if I would mind sending her a link to my podcast and any documents that I had. Files, articles, autopsy report, anything I thought would be helpful. I was stunned. I hung up, did a little happy dance, took a victory lap around my office, and then got to work gathering and scanning the documents she requested. Within an hour, I sent Amy an email with several attachments, and then I waited. 11 days later, I received the following text from Amy Hutzel. Quote, Hey there, thank you so much for sending the docs. I reviewed them and listened to the podcast. I reached out to the Cobb County prosecutor on my SACI task force. We are very interested in everything you presented. I can't really discuss it at this point, as it is a case we are actively looking at and working on. You've had some great thoughts, and everything is being reexamined. So I thank you very much, and I will keep you updated to the extent that I can. Unquote. Holy smokes. Can you believe it? Our dose case is being re-examined. The task force that has been charged with matching Georgia homicides to Samuel Little Confessions is actively working on this case. I have no idea how long the reexamination will take, but I will keep you updated. I am humbled to think that my research and this podcast could actually play a role in solving this case. As excited as I am about the possibility of her killer being identified, I desperately want to identify her. Which leads us to our second question Who is our doe? There are three ways that she could be identified. One, if someone recognized her reconstruction and contacted authorities. But after 36 years, the possibility of this happening is growing slimmer every day. Two, if a DNA match was found in CODIS, or if someone searching in NamUs notices similarities between our doe and a missing person and submits a possible match. In order for this to happen, there would have to have been a missing persons report filed on our DOE. Since 2011, her DNA has been in the CODIS system, and her case file has been in the NAMIS database. In the last 10 years, CODIS has not identified any matches, and NAMIS has compared her to seven missing women, but all seven have been ruled out. 3. Enhanced DNA Testing As I mentioned in episode 3, I believe that the best chance we have to identify Our Doe is to submit her DNA to a lab for genetic testing and genealogical matching. But how does someone who isn't a detective or police officer initiate this kind of testing? I have always assumed that Our Doe's DNA exists and is available for testing, but this assumption has never been confirmed. I emailed a forensic investigator at the Cobb County Medical Examiner's office. I included an abbreviated version of the case, all that we learned from Detective Dawes and Amy Hutzel, and then I asked if the medical examiner could confirm that our dose DNA is available for testing. I am waiting for that confirmation. I do understand that DNA profiling is a science, but it feels like magic to me. It is a game-changer, especially when it is applied to cold cases and unidentified remains. I have spent a good bit of time reading articles, joining pages and groups, and following individuals who are making major strides in the field of DNA profile building and genetic genealogy matching. I am certain that most of you have heard of Parabon and the DNA Doe Project. I get goosebumps when I think about the cold cases that have been solved by the collaborative efforts of these organizations. Recently, Othram, a Texas-based lab that specializes in using next-generation sequencing and genetic genealogy to identify human remains, has solved several high-profile and lesser-known cold cases. Othram's website explains that they are the first private laboratory built to apply the power of modern parallel sequencing to forensic evidence, saying, quote, Our scientists are experts at recovery, enrichment, and analysis of human DNA from trace amounts of degraded or contaminated materials. We help investigators break through previously impenetrable forensic DNA barriers and close previously unsolved cases. We decipher genetic identities so you can solve cases." Unquote. The you in this sentence doesn't only mean homicide detectives, cold case investigators, and police officers. It means you and me and us. It means anyone who is passionate about helping to give the unidentified back their names and provide answers to families who have been forced to carry the unbearable burden of not knowing. Collectively, with the help of Othram and the DNA Solves crowdfunding platform, we can identify our doe. Three months ago, when I released the first two episodes of this podcast, I would have never imagined that three episodes later, I would be waiting for the results of a task force review that could once and for all prove that our Joe was one of Samuel Little's victims. It is truly mind-blowing. On the other hand, I have always believed that this podcast could help identify her. I feel really confident that before long, she will have her name. I am grateful to all of you for listening and for your continued support. Special thanks to Detective John Dawes for being more than willing to discuss this case with me. His honesty gave me hope and the confidence to continue searching for ways to solve this case. Detective Dawes believes that every case is solvable if you are willing to work. He has never stopped trying to solve this case. And neither should we. Join me next time when I talk with David Middleman, founder and CEO of Othram Labs and DNAsolves.com. David will discuss how Othram enables human identification from difficult evidence, such as touch DNA, rootless hairs, and old bones. He will talk about the role Othram played in the identification of mostly harmless, a John Doe who was discovered in 2018 and he will explain how we can help identify our Doe and others like her. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter, like our True Crime PI Facebook page and join our Facebook group to discuss and crowdsource the cases featured in each episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute to rate and review it. If you don't, we would love to hear your suggestions. Thank you for listening. True Crime P.I. is written and edited by Dana Pohl. Theme music, CD streets, and come out and play, written and performed by the very talented Darren Curtis at DarrenCurtisMusic.com.